What's happening, people? Pete Davidson here with a fresh edition of the Rotobomb Podcast. It's Friday morning, at least when I'm recording this thing. Probably going to get up in the late morning, early afternoon. Uh, but I wanted to just throw out a little something now that I've done some rookie drafting. Um, I was just going over some ADP uh, on a pay site that I'm not going to name because I don't want to give out their content for free. But I've been going through um, rookie ADP in single QB leagues um, and just sort of sort of looking at that uh, compared to some of the drafts that I've been in. Uh, and I just sort, sort of want to go through how I really see this board um, in terms of where these players are coming off. Okay, um, So first we're going to go through you know, the, the guys who I really like, who I think are worth jumping for, uh, meaning guys who I think are worthy of first-round picks and and then getting into the fact that there are more than 12 guys who fit that that category, okay? So, you know, as there have been guys in recent years where I, in the second round, I moved up. Um, haven't always been right about it, um, but for the most part, it's something that's worked out. Um, so, you know, this year, if you just go by ADP, um, there are at least six players who I think are worthy of first-round grades, maybe more, depending on what kind of league you're in. So these are the, the players where I think it's worth trying to jump up the board in the second round. In the past, Evan Ingram has been a, was a guy where I was really jumping up aggressively to get him in the second round. Last year, McLaurin was my guy, just jumping up as much as I could to get McLaurin shares, knowing I didn't have to use a first-round pick because he didn't go in the first round in any drafts I was in. In fact, he went more often than not um, you know, in the third you know, uh, late second, early third was sort of his soft spot. So w once he was on the board in the middle of the second round in any draft I was in, I was moving what I needed to move to get him. Um, and that worked out well. Um, you know, an example of a player where I did that and it didn't really work out would be uh, John Ross, who a couple years ago I was using, you know, future seconds or a third round pick to move up and get Ross in the second round. Um, I, you know, I don't really regret that. I mean, his athletic profile in his film said he had a really good chance of being a big time playmaker. And I look, I think we saw that last year. He's, he's capable of it, um, but he has not meshed well with what they do in uh, Cincinnati. Um, which I think is somewhat on him, but probably somewhat on Cincinnati, who is, you know, you know I mean, they're, you know, a little shaky in Cincinnati, let's be honest. Um, they don't they don't give the ball to Mixon. We, you know, we don't know what's going on with these guys. But uh, anyway, this draft is not a draft where one guy is slipping into that second round and I want to go after him. This is a draft where no matter what happens, there are going to be several guys in that second round, and some of them are going to slip. Okay, so we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about the guys who are naturally going in the first round. Um, so let's go actually up to the top. The top five backs in single QB leagues have been locked in pretty much in every draft I've been in. I think there was a draft where C.D. Lamb jumped up to the five spot, which I actually like quite a bit. We'll get to that in a second. Um, it's an interesting board in terms of the best players are going at the top. C.D. Lamb's the best player on my board. Judy's right behind him. We talked about that pre-draft. But they're going 6-7 and seven because it has become fashionable to take running backs over receivers in the first round of rookie drafts. And I think the, the general logic behind that, you know, makes sense. The question is, because there has to be a breaking point. It can't be, I take RB ahead of WR. There, it, it ha there has to be a quality component to that, to that discussion, right? 
there are good because clearly, like when we start taking Lamb and Judy, there are still running backs on the board, right? So when it gets to the point where we're talking about, say, Keyshawn Vaughn, all of a sudden the fact that he's a running back isn't enough to turn the tables over a, a certain level of receiver. And those receivers this year, based on ADP, are C.D. Lamb, Judy, Jalen Rieger, and Justin Jefferson. Okay, um, which you know, I, I would also put Rugs in that category at minimum in terms of receivers. I would take over Keyshawn Vaughn. We'll get we'll get back to that in a second. But you've got these five backs at the top, and the order is pretty set in stone at the top. Most most drafts, it's Hilaire, some it's Taylor, but those two guys are almost always going one two, and then usually it's Swift. Sometimes it's Dobbins in the three hole. Usually it's Acres in the five hole. Now, Akers will jump up occasionally, uh, but he, you know, for whatever reason, is pinned in that five hole. And I have to say, it's a little bit weird because Akers is going to an offense that's well-schemed. He is a back who is 217 pounds. He ran under 4.5, right? Yet he's going behind Dobbins and Taylor, who are both backs who do not have tremendous profiles in terms of pass catching based on landing spot. Now, if Dobbins had gone to a team that's going to throw to the backs a lot, I would be very open-minded to him catching a lot of passes. If Taylor had gone to a team with no other backs on the roster and a quarterback that's gifted at finding running backs, I might be a little bit more open-minded to him. But while Phillip Rivers is that quarterback that I described, he's not going to be there very long. Okay, and Philip Rivers is near the end. So I think Philip Rivers is more likely to benefit Naim Hines uh, maybe Mac in the short term than Taylor. Okay. Um, now, uh, do I dislike Taylor and Dobbins? No, I think they're excellent running backs, and I don't think it's wrong that they're going where they're going. But I do think it's interesting that Akers is so clearly the fifth back because he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the production track record, and he's gone to an offense that likes to use the running backs. Moreover, he's the running back in this offense that's. I think at this point, sort of got the, the draft capital, right? I mean, Henderson's now a year in. He didn't break out as a rookie. We like Henderson, but he's not, I don't think he's a special player. Um, and, you know, as much as Malcolm Brown's a good back, he's not a special back, really. Um, so, you know, Akers has got as much upside as any of these backs. In fact, I think you can make a pretty good argument that Akers has the most upside because he's on the Rams. Um so let's go back and talk about Edwards Hilaire for a second. Again, in context. You know, context of rookie drafts. Um, and, you know, what is he actually worth? Look, I love Hilaire. You guys know that. Anybody who listened to my pre-combine stuff knows Hilaire was like one of my guys I really liked from his film. He's legit. He's not going to just show up and be a dog. There's just no way it's going to happen. But having said that, it's not like he's a perfect prospect for a high volume running back. He's five foot seven. He's only two hundred and seven pounds, and you know he ran a four six. He does not have straight line speed. So, you know, there's so much to like about this guy, and I think the landing spot on my board certainly makes him viable at the top spot. I want Clyde Edwards Hilaire on my dynasty teams. Absolutely, I would have wanted him in a bad landing spot. But in this landing spot, I think it gives him enough of a floor where he's definitely viable up at the tippy top. But here's the thing, okay? And, and I mean, let's be sober about this because everybody in the world's talking about how great he is, and I like him too. 
and he's got a really beautiful contrasting skill set to Damian Williams. I think over the next two years, while Williams is still young enough to have that explosiveness, the explosiveness we saw Williams you know, putting on film at the end of the year when they were winning the Super Bowl, I think these two players fit really well together. I've talked about Damian Williams. You can go back to the podcast I did from the beach last year after, you know, McCoy came in and, you know, everybody's apple cart got, you know, overturned. Damian Williams has got a skill set that is specifically excellent for Andy Reid's scheme with a guy like Mahomes and with vertical weapons like Tyreek Hill. And, you know, obviously, not just Hill, right? They've got other vertical weapons. Um, you know, if, if, if and, and it's not just the vertical weapons, right? It's the fact that they've got a tight end who demands that the defense lean a little bit. So when you factor in all the speed, right? The speed on the perimeter, the speed in the slot. Heck, even Watkins has got vertical speed, right? So this is a team that can run you right off the field, and then they've got a 4-5, excuse me, 4-4-5, 220-plus pound running back who runs excellent routes and who catches the ball fluidly. So Williams is sort of a scheme breaker in that offense, you, you know? So, I mean, you Defense are sitting in there and they're like, okay, I think, you know, we've, we've got Watkins accounted for. We've got Tyreek Hill accounted for. Um, we've got a guy with some speed on Miko Hardman. You know, this is the best we can do. And, and obviously, you've, you've got the monster tight end. Kelsey has to be dealt with in a primary kind of way. What is left to deal with Damian Williams if they send him on one of these vertical routes? So that's a unique thing that Williams brings. And it is not brought by the rookie. The rookie is not going to kill you with these vertical routes. Now, he'll kill you with a choice route. <laughs> he'll, he'll kill you with a lot of different routes. He will kill you in short area. He will beat your linebackers and catch balls for first downs. Clyde edwards Solaire will do a lot of really impressive things in the passing game, but he won't do what Damian Williams does. Okay, And that's an important distinction to understand if you're one of these people who thinks Hilaire is going to come in and grab like 80% of the job. And if you're taking him in the second round of redraft leagues like some of these people are, you're, that's sort of what you're banking on. And I think these people are, some of the, you know, is there a chance Hilaire could come in and just reset the bar and be so great that he makes Damian Williams expendable right from the drop? I mean, it's possible. I wouldn't bank on it. I really wouldn't bank on it. Not with the dynamic of this season, which is something we're going to get to in a bit. So Hilaire is a special player. He's got a very broad skill set. He can do a lot of things, but he doesn't have size. He doesn't have long speed. He doesn't have experience in this system. Damian Williams has all those things. Damian Williams has looked good in the playoffs multiple times for this team. He was a huge factor in Andy Reid's only Super Bowl win. If you think they're going to just forget that Damian Williams has special talents, I'm telling you, they're not. But the other side of the coin is Damian Williams is getting older. You know, he'll be like 30 years old soon. So Williams isn't going to be that vertical threat forever. And at some point, Hilaire will have a chance to maybe emerge. But that brings us to the second part of this conversation with Hilaire. It's not just about Damian Williams. It's about this offense and the fact that they've got so many pieces. They're locked in at quarterback. If you're the Chiefs, the only thing you're really concerned about is having the running backs you want and being able to protect Mahomes. The rest of it is all in place. The only other concerns you have on that team are on the defensive side of the ball. So if Williams, when that contract runs out, doesn't get brought back, if he isn't 
the co-number one or you know, 1A, you know, 1B to Hilaire's 1A or, you know, the established second back, whatever this evolves into, if they decide after the end of next season that it's time to let Williams go, don't be surprised if the type of back that gets targeted by Kansas City isn't, you know, Damian Williams' redux. It could be another guy. It could be an established guy in the NFL. They sign as a free agent. Who knows? But it could be a guy where they're trying to replace that X factor that Damian Williams brings to this offense, right? So what's what's the takeaway from this long-winded thing I just went through? It's that don't be surprised if Clyde Edwards-Solaire, who I think was an excellent pick for them from a real football standpoint, never becomes Barry Sanders or, you know, Ladanian Tomlinson or, you know, whatever people think he's going to become. It could be a little bit more like Alvin Kamara. And because this is an offense with vertical capability and Pat Mahomes, and it's not a Drew Brees thing where Kamara becomes a high-volume weapon because he has to be in that offense for them to be really good, Chiefs aren't built like that. They don't need to sit there and pepper a small running back with targets to be good. They can be good any way they freaking want, right? So just be careful about being so in on Clyde Edwards Hilaire that you are spending like gobs. Don't I would not trade up for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And he's not going to fall for you. Okay? He might be a player that is easily acquired later when the reality hits that he's just a really good football player who's part of a really good offense and there're going to be weeks where he makes the big play and weeks where he doesn't make the big play. You know, and he's you know, a good fantasy running back, but he's not a guy who we're thinking of up at the tippy top. Um, and look, Jonathan Taylor is a guy who could fall into that same kind of category, okay? Meaning that he's never the big full-time alpha back, that his skill set leaves him as a high-volume runner who doesn't catch a ton of passes. He could be Nick Chubb, and we like Nick Chubb. So Jonathan Taylor is certainly a guy who should go where he goes. But I'm not moving up in drafts to get Jonathan Taylor, personally. Okay. Now, next on the board is DeAndre Swift. He's gone to Detroit. It does hurt his value a little bit because I just don't trust Detroit to be smart in terms of how they use their running backs. I think Swift is going to perform well. I think if you take him at his ADP, you will probably be okay. But he doesn't stand out above Akers to me. He doesn't stand out above C.D. Lamb for me as a guy who has to go, right? I don't think DeAndre Swift landing in Detroit. And again, DeAndre Swift is my favorite back in this class. I'm not dissing DeAndre at all. I like this kid a lot. In some ways, he's a bigger version of Hilaire. But he's got straight line speed. But the thing is, I think when you get past the top two backs and you get into the Swift Dobbins Acres area, I think it is very okay to start thinking about C.D. Lamb or Judy. If wide receiver is in need for you, if you're in a league where it's tough to trade, if you're in a league where you're building for the future, if you're not a team that expects to win this year and your you know, event horizon, you know, your, your window of opportunity, your window of, of making a championship run is probably starting in 21 versus 20, then I, I, look, I think it makes 
all the sense in the world to take your number one receiver at three, four, or five instead of waiting to six. Don't get boxed into this thing where everybody's saying the wide receivers start at six, so I'm not taking a wide receiver ahead of six. Fuck that. I don't think there's anything wrong with waiting to six. I don't think these running backs are mistakes necessarily, but this idea that they have to go in front of the top two or even three receivers on my board is folly. I think it's fluid. Um, and I also think that probably Cam Akers, based on landing spot, for me, probably belongs at four or maybe even three. And I love Dobbins. The fact that Dobbins came in at like 209, 210 doesn't really bug me. What bugs me about Dobbins is I think running backs catching volume in that offense with that quarterback may not be happening anytime soon. It may eventually happen down the road because I think I think Lamar Jackson is underrated in terms of his savvy, but he's not gifted at targeting running backs yet. Like a lot of running quarterbacks. This happens with a lot of quarterbacks who like to run. Their first inclination when plan B when plan A and plan B get shut down, is not to drop down to the running back. It's to run, right? We've seen this with Josh Allen. We've seen this with a lot of, with a lot of mobile quarterbacks, Cam Newton, for a long time, okay? So, you know, if Dobbins takes that job clean and owns that backfield and they change the paradigm a little bit where one running back is getting most of the juice, he could be extremely valuable just on rushing yards and touchdowns and the few catches that he does make. That would not shock me, but I don't know that I can count on that. So I don't, you know, to me, Swift, Dobbins, and Akers are all close. Where when you look at ADP, they're actually very tight. Swift is going three, Dobbins is going four, Akers is going five. To me, if you're in a PPR league, full PPR, uh, you know, I think Akers is right there in the discussion with those other two guys, and I think it's really important to keep your mind open if receiver is a big need for you. And, it, and if it's a tough league to trade in, Lamb and Judy and Rieger and Jefferson are elite prospects. These guys are elite prospects. And Jefferson, for the life of me, I don't know why people are so down on Jefferson. Because Adam Thielen is getting old, and Justin Jefferson looks to me like a guy where probably by, by 21, certainly by 22, this guy's the primary receiver on his team. This guy's got wide receiver one written all over him for me. So to me, the top nine players on the board are tight. Excuse me, the top ten players on the board are tight. Because I didn't even talk about Ruggs. I think Ruggs is sort of the, you know, the magic box of these guys. There is that element to him. But, you know, to me, if you wanted to take Ruggs over really anybody but Lamb on my board, you know... I do think it's a risk. I do think you're opening yourself up to a bad scenario. But I also think you're opening yourself up to conceivably uh, a guy who could be Tyreek Hill light. Heck, for all we know, he could be Tyreek Hill heavy. And that brings us to the thing about Henry Ruggs. And we're jumping around a little bit here, but that's the point. I'm not here to give you guys my rankings. I'm going to release some rankings next week. next week. But rookie drafts are so not about rankings. It's about finding the best way to play the board. It's about finding a way to get two great players instead of one, right? Or three instead of two. This is that kind of draft. If you're a really deep team, if you've got deep talent and you've got all your picks in future years, this is a year to move up, I think. 
The question is where to move up to. And obviously in different leagues, in different drafts, the ability to make trades is different. Some leagues, it's just a flurry of activity. And when the thing starts moving real fast, you can make great trades because people get in an aggressive disposition and you can just sort of let the action come to you. I love it when drafts sort of devolve into that type of madness. Anyway, so real quick, my top 10, and again, the order is not particularly important to me. I think you guys, you know, following your own instincts and, and, and desires is fine for me if you stay with inside of Hilaire, Taylor, Swift, Dobbins, Akers, Lamb, Judy, Rieger, Jefferson, Ruggs. And again, I did not put that in. That's, that's roughly an ADP order, okay? Those are my guys. I'm not going to anybody else when those guys are on the board. Real easy. Now, once those 10 players are off the board, it does get interesting. Keyshawn Vaughn is ahead of Ruggs by ADP. Not by a ton. So clearly those guys are being inverted at times. And hey, Vaughn is a guy I've seen go ahead of Jefferson. I've seen him go ahead of Rieger. I've seen him go ahead of Judy. He's probably going ahead of uh, Lamb as well in some drafts. It's... You know, it's bizarre for me, so let's talk about Keyshawn Vaughn. Because some of you might be confused, because Keyshawn Vaughn, for those who remember, is a guy I sort of liked going into the combine. And he had a good combine. And he had a pretty good landing spot. So Keyshawn Vaughn definitely, you know, he was a guy I had probably early third. Now I've got him probably early to mid-second on my board, which basically means he's off my board, because this guy's pretty much going in the first round or right at the edge of the first round. So why am I throwing a wet blanket on Keyshawn Vaughn? I, I mean, the truth is I'm really not. I think people have his upside correct. I think there is a chance Keyshawn Vaughn could come in and take this backfield over to some degree. But here's where the problem is. The problem, there's a few. I think there's probably three primary problems with Keyshawn Vaughn. The first is that this is not a good year for rookie running backs to do what people think he's going to do, where you come over, you come in and take a gig over from the get-go from a veteran. Now, I know people don't like Thomas Jones. I get that. And some of you probably are like, Pete, wait a minute, you don't like Thomas Jones. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I was not huge on Thomas Jones coming out as a rookie because... He was a guy who relied on explosion, he was raw, and he had an injury. So he, you know, he was intriguing and became less intriguing because we want immediate impact from rookies, and I didn't think he was a guy who could give me immediate impact. I thought he was a, a 2019 guy, not a 2018 guy, okay? But the funny thing, uh, well, a funny thing happened on the way to the market or whatever. Um, I haven't disliked what I've seen from Thomas Jones as a pro. I think he's actually gotten better as things have progressed. And now he's heading into year three. Peyton Barber, another underrated back, where I think a lot of people said, well, Jones is losing carries to Barber. He sucks. Here's the problem there. Peyton Barber doesn't suck. He's not special, but he's a good inside hammer. He just goes in and gets tough yards, and he doesn't fumble. Coaches like those guys. So it, it's not that, you know, it's not a criminal offense to lose carries to a guy like Peyton Barber. So we look at Thomas Jones. He's a guy who's gotten better. He's, he's a back that lives on his explosiveness. He's not 
gifted. He's not a natural football player, but he's a hard worker. And Arians clearly likes him a little bit. He, he, he stayed. Thomas Jones is still there. Now, they did go out and draft Vaughn. So, we're looking at Vaughn. What is his... If, if he does well, what would we expect from him? What I would expect would be that he might be able to steal some early down work, and he would probably take over on third downs. Now, even that, you know, is not a, a fait accompli because, look, Dario Gumbawale, you know, did a reasonably good job on third downs. So, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn could come in and do very well. We don't know. But when you look at the fact that he's just a good back, he's not a special back. When you look at the fact that one of the things that people like about him is that he's sort of a glue guy, that he's good in pass protection, that he's, you know, got a, a, a skill set, you know, I, I don't know that he's really a varied runner. I don't know if he could work in every scheme. I think he would be fine in Arian's scheme, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, I do think he's sort of a one-cut-and-go-back for the most part. I think stretch running is probably the best thing for him. But... Again, the thing that everybody's sort of banking on here is that he's sort of this like five-year veteran back who really knows what he's doing, so he's going to come in and do well from the drop. Um, and because, you know, Rojo is sort of a guy who struggles with some of the fundamentals, that he could sort of just push Rojo to the side and become the trustworthy guy because Brady's the quarterback and they need a running back they can count on and Arians likes veterans and this guy plays like a veteran and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying there's nothing to that. And I think on a typical year where we were going to have a typical training camp and a typical offseason, I might be a little bit more worried about him doing just that, just coming in and stealing everything. And look, folks, if you're taking him ahead of Jalen Rieger or Judy or Jefferson or Henry Ruggs, then that's really what you're expecting. I mean, if he just comes in and shares as a rookie, I think in the long run you're going to be bummed out you didn't take Ruggs, Okay. Because here, we're, now we're going to get to the other thing, okay? So you've got a weird offseason. That's one problem. You've got a player who is a replaceable talent, right? That's two problems. But that second problem leads to another problem. As much as this year could be a weird season, it could also be a lost season. Right? You might we might not get any payoff on these rookies. They may get forwarded the next year because the NFL season turns to, out to be a COVID shit show. Okay? We don't know. Right? So if that happens, you've got a replaceable talent who's not going to get on the field really in a meaningful way until 2021. And by then, we're gonna have to sweat out another draft, folks. For all we know, Brady could be retired by then. They could be going to a new offense. They can have a different quarterback, for all we know. Or it could be Brady. It doesn't matter. And Arians could fall in love with some other back. And don't... I mean, Arians is a guy who does fall in love. Let's not kid ourselves. So, by the time the rubber actually hits the road, it could be Rojo, Vaughn, and some running back they took in the second round in 2021. So, to me, Keyshawn Vaughn is fraught with, fraught with problems. I'm just not going there early. If he's sitting there for me in the second round and I could use a running back or maybe I'm a Rojo team, yeah, maybe I'd do it. I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think the people who are taking him are nuts. I just see too many ways this thing doesn't go right. Now, on a normal year, 
where the wide receivers in the second half of the first round are the typical wide receivers we, we see in the second half of a, of a rookie draft, second half of the first round of rookie draft, then I think it, it, it makes more sense. The problem is we're seeing guys, Henry Ruggs is sitting there going in the beginning of the second round. He's better than any receiver on the board, you know, the, the year that Treadwell came out. So I just think we have to be careful and understand that we're in a year with a lot of strong players. This is not a year to be, you know, taking a process pick on a, a just a good, decent running back in the first round. It's just not good business to me, okay? Now, where are we? Where does that bring us to? We've talked about our top ten. We've talked about Keyshawn Vaughn. Who else is left in terms of ADP in the first round? Joe Burrow, okay, whose ADP is 13.50, so obviously he's going in the beginning of the second round quite often, okay? There's a whole bunch of players that are sort of dropping in this area. You've got Burrow, you've got T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman. Although Pittman is down a little bit, Burrow is the one who's more often than not going at 12. Um... Again, this is people, I don't know if, if this is because you've got enough need drafters or Burrow's a name, you know, he's won awards. I, I'm not sure why this is happening, but I'm not taking a guy with Burrow's profile in the first round of a 1QB league. It's not that I don't think he's good. It's, I'm just, he's not that good. So for me, I'm, I'm taking either T. Higgins or Michael Pittman. Probably I'm taking Michael Pittman there at this point. That's probably the guy I'm taking. But I think Higgins and Pittman sort of stand out. I think Ayuk is also in the discussion for me. I think Chenault is in the discussion. All these guys make good picks right in that, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 area. I am less high on Denzel Mims. We've been into the whys. I'm not a real big fan of the Jets in general. The Jets have a tendency of killing wide receivers who go in the second round, so there's some, some odd history there. But I like Mims. He's got a lot of upside because of the measurables. To me, he belongs at the end of this tier, okay? Um, you know, I think he's in the Brian Edwards area of the draft for me, the Zach Moss area of the draft, okay? So that's sort of where I'm at with this. Now, there's a couple other players on the board where if they slip into where they're generally going, I'm going to be jumping up. Zach Moss is going 18 by ADP. If I have a need at running back, I'm definitely interested in grabbing Zach Moss at 18. LaVisca Chenault, ADP, 19. Same thing. I am jumping up to get my hands on Chenault. Same thing with A.J. Dillon, who's going right around the end of the second round. Official ADP is 22. His actual ADP is 24-3-0, so he's really right, right at there at the end of the second, sometimes falling into the third. I love the idea of jumping up and getting A.J. Dillon at ADP. Love it. And then the, the last guy at the end, the two guys at the end of the round are Darrington Evans, who I like, although I'm not trading up necessarily to get him, but I really like him. Got a couple shares already. And then we have Chase Claypool, a guy who you guys remember. I was talking about this guy before the Combine. Really like Mr. Claypool. Um, and Anthony McFarland has dropped. He's not going as high as I've seen him go in some drafts. He's there at 27. I like him at 27. If you can get Anthony McFarland in the you know, early third, late second, I'm fine with that. I just don't think he is the guy that some people are saying he is, where it's just like he's the future. He could be the future if he shapes up. 
if he gets his head together, if he becomes a pro, he does have a chance to be an excellent running back. And I, I don't mind taking a swipe at him, but I do consider Anthony McFarland to be a guy that you're taking a swipe at. Could work, could be nothing, okay? So that pretty much brings us um, to the end of the second round. And again, real quick, um, just whip, whipping through the order these guys have, are, are at, uh, Hilaire, Taylor, Swift, Dobbins, Akers, Lamb, Judy, Rieger, Jefferson, Vaughn, Ruggs, Burrow. That's the first round. And then by ADP, Higgins, Mims, Ayuk, Pittman, Brian Edwards, Zach Moss, Chenault, Tua, Antonio Gibson, A.J. Dillon, Evans, Claypool. Claypool's 24, last guy of the second round. The one guy we well, the two guys we didn't talk about in this group are Antonio Gibson, who I'm off of at price. He's another guy. He's sort of in that same area um, as McFarland for me, where I'm very intrigued. I would like to get some shares. I'm not taking him over some of these guys who I consider to be safe picks. With, like A.J. Dillon's got tons of upside, and I think he's a safe pick. I'm not taking Antonio Gibson over him, even though by EDP, Antonio Gibson is going ahead of him. And I've heard Gibson going in the first round, which, by the way, you could get bailed out if he hits on that, but I think that's crazy. I wouldn't do that. Now, let's just talk about a couple players who are going after the two rounds, the first two rounds, who I think are you know, worthwhile guys to target. Um, Hamler and Bowden, the first two guys, like both of those guys, particularly Bowden. Um, I think Tyler Johnson's an interesting player. I think Cole Komet is a pretty safe tight end if you can afford to be patient. Uh, Eno Benjamin, I think, is going too late at 37, actually jumping in the early fourth round. I think he's a, a potentially good pick if you can be patient. I think LaMichael Pirine at 39 has some upside. Donovan Peoples-Jones at um, 38 has some upside. Um, and there's some other guys too, and I will get into these guys in a later podcast, maybe tomorrow. But right now, before we go, we're already past 30 minutes, we're into minute, what, 35 or so. Let's, let's flip the switch and look at Superflex rookie ADP, because I know a lot of you guys are in Superflex leagues. Burrow jumps up to the top spot. I'm okay with that, although personally, if I had the top spot, unless I absolutely needed Burrow like to play for me, like this year, I would probably try to move down. Because I think trading back in Superflex really, really works well. I mean, Superflex is just legit all the way through the second round. But let's talk about these top quarterbacks and what happens in Superflex. Burrow jumps up to one, that's okay. Tua jumps up to four. It's okay. I'm a little concerned about, a little concerned about his injuries. Again, would probably try to get someone else to pay for that pick. Here's where I get a little bit lost. Justin Herbert, I don't think, is worth a first-round pick in Superflex Leagues. I just I think he's a little bit too much of a risk. I have him in the second round like I had Danny Dimes and uh, Locke last, last year. Okay, So I'm not taking Justin Herbert over Rieger or Jefferson or Ruggs. I'm just not doing it. Um, and then we've got Mr. Jordan Love who is actually going at 25. Now, I'm fine with that. I would take Jordan Love at 25. The question is, do you have the time? Because I think Love is probably going to be a two-year wait. And then I think he's probably a bit of a 50-50 prospect, um, much the same way that Herbert is, you know, for me. So I like the idea of targeting Love 
towards the end of the second round, early third if he's there, more than trying to target Herbert. That's just my personal viewpoint. Um, so that's 35 minutes of rookie stuff. Um, hopefully you guys got something out of it. I'm going to just pull back for a second and just look at the whole board here. And again, I'm doing this unscripted, so sorry if this isn't super tight. Um, I just, uh, uh, more than a few of you have reached out to me saying you've got drafts this weekend. So I just wanted to give you my take on sort of how I'm seeing this board. The guys who really stick out to me, and again, I think take, take your highest guy in the first round. You guys know what I think of these guys. If you want to go with my viewpoint, do it. Lamb's my top receiver, and I'm willing to take him as early as probably three. Um, but I think the best move, like if you have the three, I think the move is probably to see if you can slide back to five or six and get him there. And if he doesn't make it, just take the same running back you might have taken otherwise and take the profit. But after I get my organic guy with my first, if I can, you know, so trading back and picking up an asset you like works in this draft, and then sticking, standing and delivering, taking, and then trying to move up to get those dropping talents, that's probably my my second favorite way of doing this. And I'm more than willing to try to get three guys. Maybe I'll move my first rounder next year and worry about it when it comes and grab a third guy, right? And here are the guys that I'm sort of focused on, the guys that seem to be slipping. Ruggs is one. Then we get into that group of Pittman, Ayuk, and Chenault. Right now I have Pittman ahead of those two guys, but I really like all three. And then the running backs who are slipping are Moss and A.J. Dillon. Okay. I really like moving up into that second round once or even twice and grabbing these players. I think they've got first round upside and they're really they're just good value. So that's sort of my basic take on these rookie drafts, what I've been attacking. One other thing I've noticed is that people, and I talked to this, you guys, I already got into this with Scott Fish. Most of you guys probably heard it on the um, on the Fantasy Highland pod, on my whiskey pod. Uh, but the quarterbacks, like in my auctions, they've been going for insane numbers, okay? For what um, Tua went for in the Capitalist Pigs Leagues, for what he went for, I got all of my picks within that number. I got six players. All of them collectively did not add up to Tua, and I got Ruggs and Ayuk amongst those players. So I was pretty happy. Um... And I, I just think, especially in auctions where people are getting into that competitive, when they get their adrenaline going and they have quarterback need, it seems like they're willing to almost spend anything. My take is, even if you have a need at quarterback, the best thing to do is let those bidding wars occur on these quarterbacks and sit there and take what's left. For me, it was Ruggs and Ayuk and saving a ton of money. And I loved every minute of it. So that's just some general thoughts on how these things are going. If you guys have any specific questions, absolutely hit me up on Twitter. I should be around uh, most of today, most of tomorrow, most of this weekend. Hey, I'm in quarantine. I'm a sitting duck. <laughs> anyway, um, good luck with all your drafts. Again, hit me up. I'm more than happy to answer questions. Onward and upward. Uh, I will see you. Uh, probably I'm going to do another one of these podcasts to sort of hit the things I might have missed. That will probably come up tomorrow or Sunday. Um, we've got guys coming up. Um, Jordan McNamara will be here at some point soon on this podcast. Maybe the whiskey if I can get him to drink. Um, and I also have um, Scott Barrett 
of the newly formed Fantasy Points website, which is excellent, by the way. Scott's going to be jumping on the Whiskey Podcast. I think we're going to drink some Elijah, some Elijah Craig. Uh, and then at some point soon, I'm going to get TJ Hernandez in the podcast. Uh, I think TJ wants to drink Laphroaig, which I am pumped up for. I've got a bottle staring me right in the face. Uh, I think the big sticking point with TJ is he needs to leave his quarantine and, and go get the whiskey. So we're going to have to wait for TJ to actually whiskey up. But as soon as he does, uh, we'll do a, pod, uh, a podcast with TJ. So that's it for today. Um, if you are outside, enjoy the weather. Stay safe. And uh, we'll see you soon.